All right, guys, welcome back to Absolute Comics. We're going to do a little bit of a bonus episode here. It's going to be plugged into an existing episode or become its own episode. But this is Absolute Comics, the show where Sal and I sit down and talk about comic book news and sometimes have interviews with some of your favorite creators. Today, we're going to be talking to Jim Zub, who I've just followed for so long. I don't even know his whole... I remember when you were just writing Wayward, and now your list is massive. So can- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I've been doing comics for a long time. Uh, most people, I guess sort of my my modern breakout would be probably 2010 with Skull Kickers, and yep. then 2014 with Wayward did a lot. Uh, some people know me from the Samurai Jack series I did over at IDW, um, and then starting at Marvel, I've done uh, Thunderbolts, uh, Champions, Uncanny Avengers, uh, two different Avengers weekly books, both um, No Surrender and No Road Home. Uh, I co-wrote Iron Man with Dan Slott for a while, and now I I can't help but get a big smile on my face when I say, I'm the writer of Conan the Barbarian, Uh, (laughs) one of my absolute favorite books growing up, and now uh, I get to have that as part part of my career. It's bizarre. It's amazing. Yeah, and congratulations to all the success, but it's also become a problem for me because it used to be <laughs> I'd be able to go like, oh, Jim Sub, yeah, I got to pick up his new book because it's amazing. He wrote this one book and now he's on this other book. And now it's like I pick up all my Marvel books. I'm like, and this is the Jim Sub pile. And- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's been amazing. The, the amount of different things I've had uh, on my plate at different times. It can be a little crazy, but not in a bad way. It's always something really kind of new coming up. Um, you know, I'm a big sword and sorcery guy. I love all the supernatural characters at Marvel. Those are kind of my real wheelhouse and, and getting now to do fantasy stuff at Marvel with Conan. Um, I do the official Dungeons and Dragons comic over at IDW and I've been doing that since, since fifth edition launched actually. And, uh, so two of the biggest fantasy properties anywhere uh, at the same time. Uh, if I'm not hitting a peak, I don't know what's next. I'm, uh, I'm nervous, <laughs> nervously excited. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're actually going to start yeah. covering that Dungeons and Dragons series. And I didn't, I wasn't aware you were still writing it. I knew you wrote a while ago and I oh, didn't know yeah. you were still on it. And we're going to start covering that real soon as a way to segue. Oh, that's amazing. Like, By the way, we're doing Dungeons and Dragons on our other channel. You know, like oh, we're going to use it as our own self promotion. So you're just getting yes. more love over at the channel. <laughs> sweet. Yeah. There's, so they've had a couple um, like I, they do a series of mini series for Dungeons and Dragons. So the first one I did was 2014. It's called Legends of Baldur's Gate. And although there's some tethers to the classic Baldur's Gate video game, you can just read it fresh. You can jump in and it's fun kind of fantasy adventure. Uh, we've done four more mini series since then that all connect together. IDW's done a couple kind of uh, satellite books. They did one called A Darkened Wish that's not connected to our continuity directly. And they've got a brand new one that's called At the Spine of the World that's written by a different crew. Um, but that's sort of one of our, my characters sort of went off and joined their crew and everything else. But the ongoing group that we have, we call kind of the Baldur's Gate Heroes, that has been going since 2014. And I do about a mini series a year for that. And it's been, uh, it's been awesome. You know, it's like my jam. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you've done a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff uh, and you've done a lot of the different, the different books. I'm actually impressed with your work ethic because whenever I check your Twitter and stuff like that, or I talk to you, you're also, you also have like an actual normal day job at a college. You're like, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I thought yeah. I worked long hours and I'm just picturing you like full work day, full writing day. And then like you do your own personal D and D games and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, you're someone that I admire for your work ethic. And I thought oh, thanks, I was man. like, people I tell me that it. and I'm looking it up to you. Cause you know. <laughs> uh, that's very kind. It's very kind. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I, this feels weird to say out loud. So yeah, I'm a tenured uh, prof at a, at a college here in Toronto. I teach at Seneca college in their animation program. <laughs> I headed up the program for animation at Seneca for, Oh my God, almost 14 years. And I stepped down uh, at the start of 2020. And my original plan was to go on a big sabbatical and travel the world and do conventions. Uh, and for some reason, last year, I didn't travel at all. How about that? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it was a weird, it was a weird year. Uh, so I'm back teaching, but now it's all digital and stuff like that. I love uh, doing the classes. The students are amazing. Uh, I've had the, the, just the chance to work with all sorts of, of really great uh, students who have gone on gone on to work in animation. Some of them have gone on to work in comics even uh, and, and do some really cool stuff as well. So it's just been a, a real joy getting to work with artists and help build their skills up. I started in art and animation. And so getting to draw and do that stuff, um, that art kind of base, 
I think it helped, has helped my writing career a lot. So it's been cool. It's been fun. Uh, I don't talk about comics very much with my students, hilariously. So every so often they will follow me on social media and be like, you didn't tell us you were working on Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not here to shill my stuff and sell my stuff in the class. Yeah. You pay tuition, you know, you're, you're here to, to learn stuff not for me to sit there and tell you what came out this week in stores or whatever, you know, so, I'm just picturing yeah. you like you're my professor and to the left of your, <laughs> of your teaching, there's like a comic book spin rack and you're like, by the way, right. <laughs> one, one of the weirdest things was uh, a, a couple times a year. What would happen is I get comps of a bunch of my comics and I'll usually sell the trades at, at conventions. Some of the variants I'll sell, but you just end up with a lot of books particularly when I was doing the image stuff, because they send you a big box of complimentary copies. And so a couple of times a year, my wife would be like, look, I love comics and this is all great, but we got to get this stuff out of our house. <laughs> and so I would, I would drive up to the school and I would take like two long boxes worth of comics and just give them away to my students. And the whole wing will just like descend like vultures and take all the books. And, uh, and that's how all of a sudden there's a hundred new wayward fans in the animation department. Or whatever, you know, <laughs> nice. so. It was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. So <laughs> it's actually funny that you had taken the you were taking the year off to go on a sabbatical because YouTube crap aside, there was like a really big thing that happened at the, in January, and I decided I'll just take this year off. I won't travel for work. I'll travel <laughs> for fun. Um, my wife and I were planning all these vacations, and I was like, we're just going to cut down on the workload and just enjoy right? it, and then go in strong, and then. I've spent all year playing PlayStation. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was such a surreal year. I, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful, like some project stuff sort of slid off a cliff, but then other things jumped in to fill in the gap. And it's always, you know, freelancing and doing the writing thing. You, you've got to be flexible anyways, but this was like that kind of amped up to a whole other level. Oh, yeah. um, but I'm thankful that Conan is back on board and I've been doing that. Uh, like the book was on hiatus for, I think almost six months. So it was a weird thing where I get my dream book and then I have two issues come out and then we have this pause and the whole industry is like, is it going to exist when this is all over? And now finally, uh, Conan started back up in October and we've been going through all the, the archive of stuff I already had written and new issues are in the queue and I'm really pumped for people to see what we've got coming up. So it's, uh, it's an amazing, amazing time. Well, you, you took the cue. I was going to segue into that. And by the way, something else that got delayed was the Conan book, which is why you're That's here right. to talk. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're like, you're, yeah. you're like we're in sync. You, just, you knew exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Conan's, uh, I don't know uh, how, how many people in the chat or, or watching and listening along are reading Conan right now. Every so often I'll, I'll hear from people that are like, oh, I want to get into Conan. You know, what should I read or how can I get into it? And I kind of got to laugh because I'm like, man, this book is easier to get into than Spider-Man or Batman or anything like that. The continuity, and I use the hanging air quotes on continuity, is like there are, you know, three kind of major eras of Conan. There's Conan kind of in his youth and his prime and then King Conan. And yes, there are specific events that happen that are very important in the Robert E. Howard books. But you can jump in almost anywhere. He's showing up in a new place. He's going on adventures. He's kicking ass. He's, uh, you know, killing and, and uh, frolicking with the ladies and, and kicking ass. And, and that's kind of the point of the thing. You know, he doesn't have the kind of extensive supporting cast of something like Spider-Man or Batman or even things like that. You're not really worried about those deep tethers. It's just like good quality, awesome sword and sorcery adventure. And uh, coming up with new uh, kind of challenges, I think, is the most is the most difficult thing because the character's been around so long and there have been so many different stories. But I think you have the same kind of challenge if you were doing Batman or if you were doing, you know, Spider-Man oh, yeah. or stuff like that. Like, what hasn't been done before, you know, or how can you give <laughs> those familiar things a new twist, right? So, yeah. yeah. But you don't even have the supporting cast to lean on. You know, you can't right, be like, oh, right. so-and-so is sick or, you know, so-and-so's moving or stay. You know, it's, it's Conan in a new land with a new supporting cast that usually yes. dies. Here they go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't get, don't get too attached to these people. They're not sticking around. <laughs> Exactly. It's uh, yeah, it is a challenge, but it's kind of fun in that way too, that you get to build out a little chunk of the high boring age. Like you kind of carve out your little niche and yeah. you go, okay, these are these cool new characters or villains or monsters, you know, as long as I'm not contradicting stuff, uh, right. I can kind of build out and have fun with it. And that, that was kind of the thing for me, um, you know, and, and being influenced obviously by classic runs on the character, but trying not to just retread the same ground. You know, that's, that's one of those key things you want to want to do. 
That's actually yeah. one thing I noticed you the way the way you uh titled things in the Serpent War. You were uh you were like 18 this, 17 that, you know, and then you're like high boring age. Like there's no timetable. Yeah. It's just high boring age. That's <laughs> yeah, not yeah, well, because, is. <laughs> Exactly. You can't really put a they don't put an exact timestamp on it. And if you get too obsessed with the historical elements of it, you're like, well, it's not real history. It's like this weird prehistory, you know, but they've got weaponry and armor that may or may not influence the future like don't don't think about it too much right like don't get too obsessed on like is this pangea like no it's not it's it's something else like it's (laughs) it's awesome that's what it is you know um that yeah yeah it's kind of a fun thing to be able to, to play with those pieces as far as that goes serpent war was a crazy challenge because you have these characters multiple robert e howard characters in these particular eras who have not met each other before and i have to like confidently kind of pull them together and then uh marvel was like you know it'd be great if we had a marvel component to it which character would be most appropriate and i thought okay you know set is the evil snake god set is a villain for moon knight there's some you know connective tissue there i think we can make work and and we did and it was a ton of fun i think the the when you get that kind of synergy where things are really working and you feel like, okay, I suggest Moon Knight and they're like, well, Jason's got a thing he's doing with Moon Knight. And I said, okay, but when? And then we worked out the timing and it was like, oh, I can tee that up. I can actually tee up a bunch of the Moon Knight kind of stuff uh, at the end of Serpent War. And that's what kind of worked out well on that front as well. So yeah. It was actually a, a nice surprise to see Moon Knight in that book because it started like I, I when the book came out, I was like, oh, it's a miniseries. I'll wait for it to wrap. But I really wasn't following right. it too tightly. And then it kind of fell off my radar with the pandemic. So sure. when you were like, hey, can you guys look at some Cronan stuff? See if you'd want to do it. I picked up that book mm-hmm. and I'm like, Moon Knight. Awesome. Right? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and it's weird, too, because it's like Serpent War is sort of separate from the Conan the Barbarian book, right? Like Conan the Barbarian to me is like its own airlock, the Hyborian Age. You know, there's no crossover with Marvel superheroes. There's no other literary characters. It's like kind of its own thing. And so I'm that still the same Conan that shows up in Serpent War, but it's sort of its own thing as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the the three-parter I did in Savage Sword in 2019, I'm like rolling my brain back. I was gonna say a That's year the ago. Crucible I go, one, right? it, no, that's the uh, the gambler. So okay. the gambler was the one I did with Pat Zerker, uh, which originally was supposed to be I thought was going to be my only chance to write a solo Conan story. So that was the weirdest part. Was I had written Conan, co-written Conan and, and Red Sonia with Gail Simone in 2015, and then I wrote the most of the Conan stuff that was in No Road Home, the Avengers, uh, you know, weekly event thing. Um, but I still had never had a solo Conan writing credit and I love that character and I would love to do a thing. So I got in touch with Mark Basso, the editor of the Conan books. And I said, look, I've got this idea that's been like rolling around in my brain for years. Uh, Conan in this, like, you know, your, your money and your life, you can bet anything kind of gambling hall. Can we put him in a situation where he can't just cut his way out of it? And he's literally got to play the game. Um, and I put together this proposal, Mark really liked it, sent it up to Conan properties. Cause you've got that extra layer of approvals and they really liked it. And we were off and running. They liked it to a point where the card game that they play in the gambler, they're now going to be turning into a real card game that they're going to be releasing. I think the original plan was to release it in 2020. I think now it's probably later this year. Um, but that was sort of my mic drop. Like that's the Conan story I've always wanted to tell poured my heart into it. Pat Zerka did an amazing job drawing it. I was like, whoo, got that off my chest. Thank God I finally got to do this Conan story. And uh, I didn't realize it would end up being more like an audition where they would essentially look and go, this guy really knows his Conan. This is good stuff. And I didn't know Jason was going to be wrapping up his run on the monthly book. You know, Jason's known for these extensive runs like Thor and and Avengers and all this other stuff. I just assumed he was going to be on Conan for years so it wasn't even in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I'm going to tee up and totally jump on this book. I did The Gambler. Uh, I did the first issue of Serpent War because they asked me if I wanted to do this Robert E. Howard crossover. I sent that in and my editor was like, hey, can I jump on a call with you? And the first thing I thought was, oh, God, they hate it. Right. Because <laughs> if, email- if things are good, they just email you and they say, looks great. And if there's a problem, it's like, OK, let's get on a call. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. 
And I get on a call and I'm like racking my brain, like, what did they hate? It's all the stuff I put in the outline. I don't understand. I don't understand what they hate about it. Why do we need a call? And we get on the call and they're like, <laughs> Conan Properties loves the script. CB, uh, you know, editor in chief loves the script. Um, you know, do you want to take over Conan the Barbarian? And I was just like, what? <laughs> this can't be happening. Like, oh my God, like total bucket list sort of project. I didn't say yes in the moment though. I Why actually not? waited. I waited 24 hours because uh, I was co-writing Iron Man at the time with with Dan Slot, And I had a lot of stuff lined up. I've been doing a lot of comic writing. You know, I got the school stuff and I've also been doing development work for some entertainment companies, some video game stuff, some stuff that hasn't been announced yet. And I was thinking, man, I am, I am like bursting at the seams. If I screw this up, I will never forgive myself. I got to be very careful. So I kind of said, let me think about it. I'm probably going to take it, but I need to just sort of get my ducks in a row. And I also needed to like rack my brain and go, do I have more Conan stories? Like, I'm pretty sure I do, but I don't want to, you know, take my shot and screw it up. And so I, I contacted Tom uh, Brevoort, my editor on, on Iron Man and Dan. And I was like, look, if I don't take this, I will forever regret it. Yeah. I got to step down from Iron Man and I got to do this other stuff. Everyone was super supportive. Everyone was awesome. And then I kind of, with full force, like, yes, okay, let's do Conan. I'm going to get you an outline. Let's go to town. And so that was kind of, it was kind of nice. But yeah, that 24 hour period where you're sort of like sitting on this amazing opportunity and just sort of letting it kind of simmer and go, this, are we doing this? I think we're doing this. Oh my God. You know, uh, it was, uh, it was a really cool moment, honestly. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. I mean, you Thanks, have all man. the people to write yeah. a Conan book, the guy that's currently doing so much fantasy properties and, and enjoys the world of fantasy himself. I think you yeah. were the prime choice for Conan. Thanks. <laughs> and, and yet writing Conan is very different from writing D and D like, um, you know, I think one of the mistakes people make when you're writing Dungeons and Dragons is thinking it's generic fantasy. There are certain isms that are very specific to the, to the D and D game and the D and D worlds that are really crucial. And Conan is a different kind of a fantasy property. And it's interesting because Conan is one of the many things that influences D and D, but it's also its own thing. Like it's a very separate, distinct kind of, I don't want to make it sound too highfalutin, but literary tradition, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and it holds a pretty special place for a lot of fans and readers and, and the fantasy genre as a whole, you know, it's so influential yeah. and uh, doing right by it. You know what I mean? And I don't want to be, I can't be Roy Thomas and I can't be Kurt Busiek and I can't be all these other awesome people who have been so influential on in the title, but I can be me in hopefully a way that, that respects that stuff and does something cool with it. You know? Yeah. That's no, kind I, of the, I, I mean, the, I'm a huge fan of Conan myself. I even played the video games, like that weird Exiles game and like his nice. RTS game. So, <laughs> yeah, like, man. I, I'm always been a huge fan of Conan. So, it, I like I say when I'm reading it, and I can't, I don't have the best way to put it, but if nothing seems out of place, I'm just enjoying the story, and that's how I felt sure. with like Serpent War and the other things that you've written with Conan. It doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like you're trying to force right. Conan into something he shouldn't be doing. You know, right, one right. Thing and I, I think into the into the crucible is a good example of that where I'm trying to take some of those ingredients and and mix them up in a way you might not have seen before, but it still feels very much like the Hyborian Age and yeah. stuff that should go on there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so. I I wanted to ask you this, and Sal, at any point you want to jump in, go ahead and cut me off. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> how do you, you feel you, now that you're the the main Conan guy? How do you feel about it being more? I just got the grin on my face as soon as you said yes. <laughs> Continue. But how do you feel about him being in Marvel proper at times and kind of being wrapped into things? I mean, it doesn't. I know the hardcore fandom, and you know, I got to tell you, like any other fandom, whether it's it's X Men fans or Spider Man fans or Batman or whatever, they're very strident and they're very passionate because they love the characters and because they want it to be a specific way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm on a bunch of these like Robert E. Howard fan groups. Some of them I just kind of lurk and occasionally I post on a, here and there and they are like super strident. Some of them absolutely hate those books. They hate Savage Avengers and stuff like that. And I, I understand in like a super purist kind of way, but the, first of all, the book's great. Like Jerry's doing a great job. Everyone's doing an awesome job. It's a ton of fun and it doesn't replace the Conan the Barbarian book. It's additive. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, you, yeah. If, if there was no mainline Hyborian Age Conan book and the only book you got was the one where he's running around with Venom and Wolverine, <laughs> I get it. That might piss you off. And I totally, you know what I mean? Like 
but you don't. You've got choice. You can have both. Yep. You can have one. You can have the other. Jerry's doing a great job. The book's a ton of fun. It's got this kooky, you know, combination thing going on. They're taking him on this world tour, and he ends up in Wakanda, and then he's in Vegas, and all this crazy stuff. Same thing with Saladin's, you know, Serpent Crown miniseries. Like they're just busting out these fun stories that are these. They're not what ifs. They are technically in the mainline Marvel universe, but but a what if kind of quality of Conan in that way. And they're having fun doing it. You know, like I read Conan 2099. They did a one shot. That was a good that was an incredible It book. was, man. I read it and I laughed because I actually call, I, I messaged Jerry about it. And I said, I would not have had the audacity to do that. I think I would have. I'm too much of a purist and good on you, man. Like you went there and that's good that someone's doing that. You know right. what I mean? And so to me, I don't have a problem with it. Just as long as you've got that kind of, sequestered area to play you know that that he's in his own spot over here as well you know someone was asking me the minute that they announced that marvel's got the license to predator and alien they're like what if conan fought the predator and i was like yeah man i'm down to clown like that would be a ton of fun i would be so up for it and the alien shows up in the middle like (laughs) (laughs) it would be great and it would be a ton of fun but you'd never put that as a three issue thing in conan the barbarian it'd be its own thing or it's a prestige or whatever and you make it cool and you have a ton of fun with it and you and you kind of blow it out you make it as wild and crazy as possible because when are you ever going to see this in any other medium that's what comics have been so good at doing all these years the first time i when i was a kid and i saw that batman judge dread crossover that (laughs) bisley I could not deal with it. It was the coolest <laughs> thing I had ever seen in my life. And I was like, I, what? This can't possibly be happening. And then there was that whole string of, you know, Batman Predator and yes. Superman Aliens, all these weird books. And it's like, good or bad, what a fun thing to do. What a yeah. wild medium that we can even get away with this stuff. Yeah. And so to me, yeah, man, do it. Have fun with it. I don't think it it besmirches, you know, Robert E. Howard. I don't think that it that it tears apart the the character at the roots as long as you've got that mainline book where you can do you know kind of the the pure classic sort of sword and sandal adventure you know that's I mean, that's how i feel about it yeah. that's how i looked at it too when they you're like oh conan's in this and conan's in that i'm like okay but there's still just conan and conan's yeah. doing conan yeah. things I, I like that exactly I, I mean i look at like savage avengers almost like it's it's a what if kind of a situation for all the characters involved Cause you got oh, totally. them and, and like, it doesn't fit into anyone's, co- anyone's continuity and it really shouldn't. <laughs> it's a little work, you know, but I like, he's using Cullen Gath and he's, you know, yeah. he's using Shumagorath and it's like, yeah, that's cool. Marvel stuff. Like let's, you know, play with the toys. You got to kind of go out there and try stuff. This is the, I think it's changed for me as well from being a pure fan to being a creator. It was funny. Uh, I was listening before I jumped on here and you were saying, man, it's hard to read indie books because you've got 40 books a month to read or whatever superhero things. So I get um, every PDF Marvel sends uh, certain writers, all the books so that we can keep up on continuity. So I'm literally reading every title that Marvel publishes like three weeks before it comes out. And then I'm trying to keep up on indie books and then books my friends are making specifically because if we get in a conversation, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, you do a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard, I heard See, that's kind of kind of good. You know, like, I, yeah. I, I at least have the the I guess the privilege of kind of deciding what I can read. Of course. Like, OK, sure, sure. Jim Zub's on today. I should probably catch up on Conan. Like, OK, that, right. I, <laughs> it's not like you called me. And you're like, hey, do you want to hop on a podcast in an hour? And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay, he's got a sword and he's doing it. <laughs> I hope he uses the sword, you know. Like, All right, so Jim, yeah, yeah. I just finished uh Savage Avengers. You can <laughs> Oh no, it's yeah. not you. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, exactly, right? You know, but this is a, the kind of thing that that it can be weird. I would go to conventions and everyone I, I think looks at the guest list and goes, "Oh, better catch up on their books cuz I don't want to run into them and not have you know do the thing so all of a sudden you're doing these like binge reads on the plane or whatever right uh, you know it's just the nature of the beast and every so often you get to a point where you'd look at each other and someone would say look i know you're doing a thing i haven't read it and you're like that's how i know you're my really my friend just right. be honest <laughs> with me it's fine i won't I'll lie I've done that a, that's cool man cool. i've done yeah. that a couple of times i think we went to one of the new york i don't even remember what book it was 
But somebody through something had booked me to do an interview with a creator that I don't know anything about. <laughs> it was, that was right. probably Keystone Comic Con. It was one of the ones where I'm like, why would you have like I like this is one of those books I openly state I don't read. So right. I forget what the book was, but I had to read 30 issues on the plane. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was one of those like long runs where it's like yeah. you better know everything. And the mm-hmm. creator loves to talk about everything. Oh, like, oh boy. Continuity reading is a totally different skill than reading for fun. I got to tell you. So (laughs) I'm known known for my continuity diving that I will reference crazy old stuff or whatever. And I love it. I really do. When I was a kid and I was reading Marvel comics in the eighties, they would do a lot of those, you know, asterisks, you know, this issue, the thing happened. And the writers were known for doing these crazy references of older storylines and pulling old threads out and bringing them back into the, the light. And it was one of the things I loved about the Marvel Universe in particular was this feeling that it was organized. It wasn't, of course, <laughs> but thanks to something like the Handbook of the Marvel Universe, there's this sense of, oh, this matters and this is important and this has happened after that. Yep. And you know, when I first started working on the Marvel books, I was doing Thunderbolts and I was obsessed with trying to tie in all these pieces. So I had to read 170 issues of Thunderbolts not because my editor told me I had to, but because I felt I had to because right, we were yeah. using the original. And then it's like, well, Baron Zemo goes off and does this. Okay, I'm going to read some Baron Zemo issues over here, and I'm going to read <laughs> this over there. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I can. Bear, I got literally a notebook, and I'm filling it with all these little reference points and key moments of dialogue or interactions or stupid stuff like that. And it was good. It, it was good fuel for me to create the books, but it was also a real, you know, intense kind of chore in that regard. And it definitely changed the way I look at kind of the, the reference. And I hit a point where um, I was working on something and I wanted to use a particular villain. I can't say exactly who. And and I asked my editor and he goes, oh, they're being used over here and they don't want us to use them. And I was like, oh man, he goes, but you could just make a thing that does the same thing in the story. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he goes, yeah. yeah, Jim, that's how the Marvel Universe got made. People just made stuff. And I went, oh my God. <laughs> and I made a little, just the littlest thing in this story. And the day after the issue came out, someone had put it in the Marvel Wiki. And I just went, oh no, this is addictive. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I can just, I can just make shit. Oh no. And that was like revelatory to me. And I, now I'm like, one of the fun things has been being able to make new, you know, when we made um, Voyager and the Challenger, two new yeah. elders of the universe, like those were that's yeah. a cool, you know, cadre of characters. This is great. I get to make some new ones or, or you know, making Snow Guard for the champions. And um, seeing like like Eve Ewing, you know, keep Snow Guards on the team in the new champions book. And that's like a point of pride for me. Like that feels amazing. Or, or just any of that stuff, adding to people's stories, bringing new kind of elements into the Marvel Universe. That is, um, I am still dorkishly very proud of that. And, and I hope that oh, joy never goes away, you know. Yeah. I mean, one day I hope to eventually actually start writing comics. That's actually where my goal was originally. And then I just do this all the time. It's madness. But- <laughs> it's madness. <laughs> I will say I used to try and like not, not, not for, I guess for work, but I would try to keep the continuity straight on Marvel and DC. Sure. So it, and like, we even had playlists for it and everything like that. And I just got to the point where I'm like, they all happen in this year. Like, <laughs> stop yeah, worrying yeah, which story can, came first. It all just ha- think of it all like Wolverine. <laughs> He's everywhere. Right? Well, when when I did um, Mystery and Madripoor, that Hunt for Wolverine miniseries, I read every Madripoor comic, and also got to realize which writers had read the previous stuff and which ones were just BSing it, up. making up whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll use both, you know, and I'll just sort of incorporate <laughs> it all together. And then, of course, trying to follow a thread of Psylocke or something like that, a character who's just got the most twisted, warped-ass history. And I'm just sort of going, okay, so I'm going to read those old Captain Britain appearances. And then when she joins the X-Men, and then because we were going to reference all of it, because one of the goals when I pitched that book, um, you know, my, my editor said to me, well, the Hunt for Wolverine stuff, we want to try and make each of the books have a big surprise, some big crazy thing. Right. And uh, I was sort of looking at my cast and I went, what if we took Betty out of, you know, Quanon's body, like permanently, like made the switch. And I sent that in and my editor immediately turned around and he said, yeah, not that. That's crazy. I don't think we'll ever get away with that. And, <laughs> and the funny thing was we went back, forth, back, forth. I'm like, you, you wanted something big. You wanted yeah. a big surprise. 
we can do it, we can pull it off. And it sort of went up the, the halls of power and back down and all of a sudden we were doing it. And I thought, oh boy, now we're in for it. I gotta, <laughs> I really got a deep dive on this character and make sure we hit the marks on it, you know? Yeah. And it's been amazing seeing like Betsy now uh, is Captain Britain and then, you know, uh, Quanon's now Psylocke off doing different stuff in, in uh, Hellions, you know, like that's great. I love yeah. seeing, you know, the germ of that thing. I could, you know, no one knew that it would go in those different directions, but that's the nature of the Marvel universe is you pick up the baton and you carry it for a certain time and then someone else picks it up and does something cool. Yeah, man, that's the fun stuff right there. And, and a cadre of people will meticulously uh, organize when you did it and <laughs> oh, put yeah. you into the system so that you'll know, here, there I am. That's my yep. contribution right there. <laughs> if you're really lucky, someone on social media will tell you why you did it, even though they don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> why it sucks and ruined everything. They, they, will, they will tell you your motivation. They will be like, oh, clearly this came down from corporate that they needed to get rid of Ninja Psylocke. And I'm like, no, I just thought it would be cool. No, you were told from the <laughs> no. top. Disney do, should, would not allow that. this British character to skin ride in a ninja. And it was just like, no, <laughs> literally no one ever told me to do this. I thought it would make for a cool story. And they're like, bah, this is all some massive. And then they've got the strings out and the oh, photographs. Sure. And they're going to tell you exactly why you wrote your own story. And it's like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I never had I'll those motivations. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually funny because most of this year I've avoided comic book Twitter because everyone just got angrier as the year went on and everyone was trying to tell everyone. For some strange it. reason, people had more time and yeah. lots of reasons. I don't know. We lots had of less reasons comics. to be angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> less yeah, comics, no but comics. they got angry about it. <laughs> right. No comics and all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think something like the X-Men is is simultaneously the brass ring and like the terror, you know what I mean? Because the <laughs> continuity is so dense. And, you know, one of the best analysis, I forget who it was. I was uh, talking to someone about X-Men, you know, on the road at a convention. And they said the problem, the great thing and the problem with the X-Men is the cast constantly changes. And so you will have your favorite era of the X-Men. They will be your X-Men. And if you take over as a writer, you want to haul the book back to that status quo. Right. But the minute you do that, it feels wrong because those characters have been moving and changing and whatever. Like you can't just say, you know, okay, it's like my favorite era. We're going to bring back whatever, you know? Yeah. Right. I love the Paul Smith era. I love John Romita Jr. Those are great years. Very eighties. Oh my God. But, um, <laughs> But I can't, if I took over the X-Men, like people will do this all the time. Say, like, if you were writing the X-Men, well, who would your cast be? And I never want to say, because it would depend on where they're at now. You know what right. I mean? When I took over and they go, no, that's just a cheap answer. No, it's a true answer because <laughs> I don't just want to be one of those writers who just like pretends the last 20 years didn't happen. I guess it's more <laughs> than 20 years now, but you yeah. know, whatever. And, and said, so this is how it's going to work. What oh, did I, I scared him Benny right off. <laughs> he oh, no, went nice. away, but he, he, he's been here in spirit. Look, man, I just had an X-Men opinion. You don't have to run. Nope. You do have been a favorite X-Men team. I'm not anti-X-Men anymore. That... <laughs> but it's a, That's it's true, a, you yeah. know, those are the kind of books that I think are a real challenge. Like the Fantastic Four, like who are you going to have in the Fantastic Four? Like, well, take a wild guess. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know. The Spider-Man, like, Wolverine, uh, She-Hulk. That's, that's my fantastic Clearly. Ghost Rider. That was the fourth. Ghost. I was trying to think of the fourth. <laughs> yeah, that Art Adams. Those issues yes. were fun, man. They were so <laughs> ridiculous. That was good times. Um, but seriously, like, you know, X-Men, I think, is an incredibly hard book to 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 gauge what you would do with it and how you would do with it. You know, yeah. I've got ideas for characters I would really love to write. Like Dr. Strange is on my bucket list. I want to do some, I want to do big crazy crap with magic in the Marvel universe. And I have some like big far reaching plans and my sword and sorcery bent and all the supernatural crap. I would just like go to town on. Would so, you put you know, Conan that's... in it? <laughs> Conan, <laughs> fine. He's fine. No, but um, <laughs> yeah, those are the books that I think I could really flex. Uh, on and it's funny because you know as i've been at marvel working on different projects i kind of hint at them like oh man i could do something cool with blade i could do something right. cool with with man thing i could do you know all the supernatural crap and they're like that's nice that's nice that's cool <laughs> hey so you know do you want to do this and they're great projects i love working on avengers obviously iron man all this stuff yep. but like you know conan's the first one where 
that is actually the kind of character I would do. Yeah. And they said, do you want to do the character you love? And it's like, yes. <laughs> right. And, you, and, you, you actually know, like telegraphed, I want to work on Conan. And they're like, exactly. I'm this dub guy really wants to take over he Conan. He really like, likes fantasy stuff. You're like, right. yes. Yes. That's I why we I had might the, be able to, yeah. Super the champions went to sell. Weird World for a reason, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, yeah. They yeah, just yeah. thought you yeah. wanted to be weird with it. <laughs> yeah. Like Weird World was actually the first story I pitched for champions. And they were like leaning a little hard on the fantasy too quick. And I was like, come on, let's go. You know? yeah. I said, look, it's either fantasy or Canadiana. So I'm going to have Alpha Flight show up. How about that? Yeah, hey, they're like, like, no, never. Find you maple syrup junkie, whatever. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start wrapping in. Dan's been collecting questions for us. And I think sure. now I think you're pumping him into the wrong chat, or I'm in the wrong chat. Oh. Mm. What chat are you pumping him you into? Have multiple are. chats are going. Oh Do yeah, well it's Discord chats? maybe. <laughs> oh no. Well we we didn't want to communicate in the previous show and just have you flooded with all this back and forth <laughs> <laughs> crap. Right, right. Amazing. <laughs> Um, so I got a question from Silver3161. Mr. Sure. Zub, are there any Robert E. Howard characters you would like to write solo stories for? I'm going to caveat, probably not Conan's what he's referencing. <laughs> right, right. Sure, sure. Um, so I did uh, uh, Solomon Kane in uh, Serpent War. The character is actually really cool. Characters who are absolutely ardent in their belief structure, I think are really fascinating to write because they're sort of unflappable and putting them into darker and deeper kind of situations where they have to question those things or, you know, push them to the brink, I think would be really cool. So Solomon Kane is like, you know, he is this Puritan monster slayer. And one of the things I loved writing about him and Moon Knight when they interplay with each other in Serpent War is you have two characters who are ostensibly have a religious bent to them. Uh, Mark Spector doesn't want anything to do with Khonshu and Khonshu has a direct conflict with his life all the time yeah solomon kane doesn't ha, solomon kane has never interacted with god but he's a hundred percent certain of it so yeah. you have the, the character that has not interacted with their god knows exactly what they need to do and the character who is constantly being pestered by their god doesn't want to do it and i was yeah. like that's fun that's where the the kind of flip goes so doing more with solomon kane will be awesome i think that character is really great and he's it's like a paladin on steroids from D and D. Like he's just like, go he's get awful him. good. And it's yeah, really man. fun to see him. Like, all you gotta do is give him smite. And that would be like, <laughs> right. I smite yeah. He's you. awesome. So I think Solomon Kane's a character. I could do some pretty cool stuff with, uh, in, in that regard. Um, trying to think of other Robert E. Howard characters that like I, some ones that I haven't even sort of touched before uh in, in in some of the the things that that they've done over the years there are all sorts of really good ones honestly like it's kind of hard to pick I, i'd still want to write um something with belite so belite is depending on on how you look at it conan's true love in one of the stories there's this famous story called queen of the black coast and there's a period of time where they're on uh, a ship together and pirates and causing shit and all this sort of stuff and they fall deeply in love and then spoilers she passes on just like every other woman that goes through conan's life but this one's <laughs> i was canon gonna read the, it <laughs> uh, uh, like canon in the robert e howard stories and and um that's a character that has a lot of deep deep fandom for her and i still haven't had a chance to re write her beyond a couple bits of dialogue that we had in that that um conan red sonya miniseries she shows up there so mm. yeah Cool. All right. I'll hit the next one up. Yeah, Trying not right. to interject too, too much on the people's. Oh, oh no. no I just pulled up a map. I think I just doxed myself. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, did, where did all the questions go? Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, I got Trey cannot pronounce or say his, the rest of his name, but he knows who he <laughs> is in our chat. Do you find yourself sticking to certain cycle of events when you're writing to a certain cycle of events when you're writing a story, or do you constantly try to use a new formula each time you write a story? Oh well, okay. I've written probably like three, almost three hundred single issues of comics at this point, and so I would definitely say there are structures, 
and you you try not to fall into a rut where you're doing the same kind of thing over and over again. But you also learn what works in terms of pacing. You're like, okay, we can open with, so, you know, the classic kind of serialized storytelling is what we call A plot, B plot, C plot. So the A plot is our current major story. B plot is stuff that's bubbling up that's going to become a problem later. And C plot is that like one page stinger of what is that? They would do in the old X-Men books, like cut to Muir Island. And you're like, what's going on with Moira McTaggart? And then they don't, <laughs> they don't pay it off for... 20 issues or whatever, you know, like yep. that's the kind of a plot, B plot, C plot. And so I will do that on like a monthly book because that tends to work until I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> if you don't, if you have those things to fall back on, they can be useful structures, but you don't want to become so locked down to it that you're like, Oh, it's page eight. So Jim's going to do a full page or, you know, like right. certain you know, there's times when you want to open an issue with a bunch of close-ups and then open to a two-page spread. Oh, wow, this is epic. This is cool. Other times I want to open with a splash. Other times we don't have a splash till the end of the issue, you know, or whatever. Um, you don't want to constantly find yourself doing the exact same thing every time structurally. And I find the same thing with character stuff as well. So you try and find new ways to challenge yourself. I, it would be impossible for me to say it's different every time because that's insane. Right you know, 200, almost 300 issues that I've written. So you, sometimes you plan for the arc. Sometimes you plan for the issue, you know, writing a one off story, like in champions number 24, we did that issue all about uh, school gun violence. That was meant to be like a standalone issue that doesn't contradict anything that happens in the previous issues, but you can also read it on its own. Structurally, that's a completely different issue from a three part story or an annual or, or, or other stuff like that, you know? So um, you, you're trying to find ways that fit, that work. I'm, there are two kind of major mindsets of writers. There's what we call uh, uh, planners and pantsers. So planners are the people that figure out exactly how the structure is going to work before they start writing and they know exactly how it's going to end. And then there are pantsers where they're like, well, I got these characters and I'm going to write them until I see where they go and what they tell me. And you can get some amazing spontaneous stuff and some incredible synergies. And, and I don't think that way. Like I'm much more of a structured writer. And so for me going into a, uh, a project, I'm just being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it would be great. <laughs> I think I would lose my mind. And thankfully the majority of the industry responds better to structure because unless you are a very famous writer, you can't just go in and say, I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but it's going to be poignant. You know, like you have to, you, you have to get this approved by your boss. You know what I mean? So yeah. I tend to write pretty tightly structure wise, leaving myself a little bit of leeway where it's like, okay, oh, this great moment just hit me. This will be even stronger than what I originally planned. And then I might call my editor and go, yeah, that character I thought was going to live. Can we kill them instead? Because that will be a bigger moment. And they're like, oh, really? Oh, I got to get that approved. Everything else is the same. We just got to murder that one person. You know, like, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know stuff like that, right? It's, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating in, the, in that way where you sort of build up creative credit and then you're like, all right, let's do the weird thing or let's go outside, you know, beyond what was already approved and make it even, even wilder, you know, or stuff like right. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, silver three, one, six, one would like to know if you have any intention to do another Avenger series with you and Al Ewing. No surrender uh, was so thanks man. Uh, Mark and Al and I got along so well, way better than I think even we had intended and inadvertently filled in a lot of each other's kind of gaps. Not that, Mark and Al have a lot of gaps, but in terms of just like the things they enjoy doing or the, the, the elements that they really enjoy working with, we all had a really good team spirit on, on no surrender and no road home. Um, doing that first book was so stressful because I felt like the odd man out, like I'm the weak link. Oh my God, I got to prove myself. And by the end of it, we had such good camaraderie and we were really riffing on each other. Well, um, it was amazing. And so when the last issue came out, uh, part 16 of No Surrender, that week, we got a congratulations email from Tom Brevoort, my editor, and he literally said, hey, let's do it again. And so we immediately turned around and started planning what would eventually be No Road Home. As we wrapped that at one up, I think internally there was a little bit of this bubbly feeling of, are they just going to do it again? Are they going to do it again? But we lucked out that there were two Avengers movies in two years. So right. there was sort of a bandwidth of we can puff out the Avengers line a little bit more than normal. 
with good reason, you know? So we haven't done a third one. I would be down for it. Uh, You know, I think we've all, none of us ever felt like this wasn't working. And so it would be a really cool thing to do. It's a very long rambling answer to a yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. Working on Avengers was an absolute joy. I would love to write more Avengers. Writing Uncanny Avengers was uh, an honor. Doing the the weekly books was an honor. I have some cool Avengers ideas. Uh, I don't want to be the guy who's constantly like chasing after Jason Aaron's books, but uh, you know, <laughs> do, doing Avengers would be phenomenal, and uh, I would definitely uh, you know play with the toys and do some cool stuff. So, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Tevya asking if you would be willing to write X Men, Inhumans, or Miss Marvel one day. Woo! Um, so you know, I wrote Miss Marvel in Champions. And that was great. Uh, I was a little bit nervous about it because I was coming on to that book as Saladin was taking over. So it's like G Willow was getting ready to leave the book. And I just wanted everyone to be kind of happy at the same time, Bendis was leaving and I was trying to get caught up on miles and it was just like, Oh my God, I think I'm a little bit. um, I think Ms. Marvel as a book is amazing. When I read those first few issues of, of the series and I thought this really is like, this generation Spider-Man, like she's got that vulnerability and she feels so real and she's got this youthful, you know, exuberance. And I kind of got a lot of that into champions. So I don't know if I would pick up the solo book. Like, I don't know that I have something more to say about her in that regard. Mm. You know, that being said, if someone made me the offer, that's when the brain starts, you know, the gears start turning and you go, Oh yeah, of course I do have a couple of cool ideas. Uh, in humans, I would need to find a kind of take on because I don't know that, you know, I think Charles did a good job when he was doing the, the Inhumans book a little while back there. I would need to find an angle. And and that's the thing I don't currently have. Is it possible? Sure. I didn't think I would have an angle on Thunderbolts and then I did. So, you know, it's really about all, all of a sudden when the, the opportunity is presented in front of you that's when the brainstorming starts and the, the act of researching and reading becomes, Oh yeah, I could do that. X-Men. The weirdest thing right now is that because I don't know where Hickman's going, I'm sort of like, I don't know. I don't know what, what will be the state of X-Men. Would I love to nostalgically? Yeah. Would I love to be able to dig into that universe and, and, you know, put a brick in that wall, a hundred percent. That would be super cool. The most intimidating part being like we talked about earlier, how in God's name do you pick a cast? Right. And, and, yeah. and what is the conflict and how do you push them forward? You know, something like when they had the the blue and gold book, I thought that was a nice little split of the teams that you could, you could focus on each one because yeah. the cast is so huge. And then you have X-Men red and then you got to like, it's, there's hmm. so much and everyone has their favorites and, rightfully so and you want to have the classics but then you want to bring in the oddballs and how do you possibly you know uh uh make a cast that's going to make everyone happy you can't you just got to sort of make yourself happy and feel like you've done something something worthy with the with the property you know yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. undoubtedly if you make yourself happy other people are going to be happy too yeah and i mean (laughs) some of the weirdest Chris Claremont storylines are just clearly him obsessing over one or two characters. And you're like, I don't give a damn about whoever. And then he spends two issues and you're like, I love them. They're great. You know, like if you would have said, I'm going to love Dazzler. Wow. No, this is a really good Dazzler, you know, story or, or whoever, you know, he's done that multiple, multiple times over, over that classic run where he would take the oddball, put them in the forefront. And you're like, what are you doing? You know, and then you just, okay, okay. You made a compelling empathetic character. And that's the kind of mindset that we had when we, for example, put living lightning at the core of no surrender, like taking a character who hasn't had their due. The entire theme of no surrender was this idea of legacy because it was Marvel legacy was the branding at the time. And so we were thinking like, okay, what is the legacy of the Avengers? What is, so you've got the legacy of something like the Grandmaster, the title, which has a big role to play in No Surrender. You have the legacy of the Avengers, old and new, and the playing with history and messing with it. And then you have a character who's never had their shot at actually doing something important within the scope of the Avengers legacy and putting them in this crucial position to save the universe, you know? And so it was like, that's a fun thing. And that was mostly Al with Living Lightning. He was like, I want this character to do something cool. And I was like, who? And he goes, Living Lightning. <laughs> oh, God, I kind of vaguely remember. 
And then I went back and I read them and I'm like, there is barely anything here that makes me like this character. He goes, yeah, so we can make him likable. Like there's, it's, it's fertile ground. We can just make him cool and awesome because his power sets neat. And he's such an underdog. I'm like, all yeah. right. And, and you're so excited about it, Al. I know it's going to be great. You know, <laughs> right. that's, kind of thing, right? well, that's the best yeah, way to yeah, do totally. characters like that. If, if you're excited, you have to be excited. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. You have to care. And I think readers can sometimes get the wrong idea when I say care. Like I loved the champions and I put them through hell in the book. Like I made <laughs> so many like dramatic, awful things happen to them because they're heroes. They're worthy of it. And if I put them into these difficult situations and they come out the other side stronger, that's the point of drama. That's, you know, without trying to get too dorky, that's what Stan would do. Like that's, that's how that stuff's supposed to work. And so I would get these tweets and issue would come out and people were like, why do you hate the champions? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I love the champions and they're heroes and I'm going to prove it. You know, like right, right. And the only way to prove it is unfortunately to, uh, uh, you know, run them over multiple times and then have them get back up no matter what, you know, that's yeah. kind of the nature of I sometimes these feel like uh, comic uh, readers forget that there has to be the hero's journey actually happening. You can't oh, just sure. have every and day. Yeah, like, hey, we win the fight. Let's get ice cream. <laughs> if they're getting if they're getting angry at me, it's because they care about the characters yeah. and they're worried about what's going to happen next. So you kind of take that with a grain of salt. Like you appreciate that they care and that they're focused and they're reading. God, they're reading, right? Like yeah. that's kind of the point. So man, lay it on me. Tell me I suck. Tell me, you know, you better fix this. And it's like, well, <laughs> You know, it's a superhero story. I have some good news for you. It's probably going to come around. <laughs> you know, keep, keep, keep reading, you know, but, but the fact that you're nervous about it or that I'm, you know, that we've got you, got you, you know, locked in to find out what happens next. That's the nature of the storytelling, right? So, yeah. 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 So I'm actually going to call up the questions here because we've been going a while and you give such no very thoughtful and long form answers. It's great. So I apologize to everyone who didn't get your questions asked because we do need to talk about the actual Conan and what, what the purpose of talking about Conan was. Right. Because they, they, <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah, we, Conan we, the Barbarian, that guy. We, we haven't once mentioned that you were trying to hype up pre-orders for the February 19th cutoff day. <laughs> yes. Yes. So let's talk about certain sorcery kids. No. Um, so Conan, Conan the Barbarian is a uh, absolute dream book for me. It's a bucket list, something I've always wanted to write. I'm so friggin' excited about it. If you're not re if you're reading Conan the Barbarian, thank you. It means the world to me. If you're not reading Conan the Barbarian, give it a shot. We've got a brand new story arc that's starting up um, in late February, early March. Corey Smith is now our regular artist on the series. And in the tradition of the best Conan artists around, he has got phenomenal storytelling and amazing anatomy. Like he draws these muscle bound characters looking cool in action in the, the John Buscema kind of tradition. The book looks amazing. The stories, if I can humbly say, are some of the best that I've ever put together. We're having an absolute blast and you can see that passion on the page. Uh, we had this, gap because of the pandemic so now even though i've been on the book in theory for over a year i've only <laughs> had uh one story arc come out uh and i really really want to make this next one hit hard i want people to see the brilliant work that Corey and the rest of the team are doing and uh and get on board with hyborian adventure if you want to pick up our first arc it's called into the crucible it's available now for pre-order and trade but even if you don't, you can jump on with issue 19 and you will be happy as a clam. You'll know exactly what's going on, which is to say Conan is in deep shit and stuff is going to die in spectacular fashion. <laughs> I mean, that, that's Conan. You've just described every right? Conan story. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the other cool thing is Marvel's got the dual numbering that they've been doing. And so based on the current numbering rundown, um, uh, 19 is the current series, but issue 25 that's going to be coming up for September, October is also Legacy 300. So oh, that's a wow. huge oh, nice. anniversary issue. I've never got to do one of those before. And the the thought of being able to, you know, have that uh, is brilliant. It's amazing. We've got crazy stuff planned for that issue. We're going to be building it up in all sorts of awesome ways. If you're on the six issues before that, you can say you've been reading this whole time and isn't it sweet, you know? So uh, get on board uh, with Conan the Barbarian, check it out. Uh, and if you love sword and sorcery adventure, if you love badass characters, 
if you, uh, you you don't need to have read any of this stuff before, but if you have been reading or you're a lapsed reader, uh, give it a shot and let us know what you think. Awesome. I, I, I enjoy Conan. I'm, I, Conan is one of those things for me that it's like, I'll forget he exists. And then like <laughs> Conan, let me just read all of this right? and watch all these movies again and go. You know. <laughs> totally. I think that, but that's the great thing too. The character definitely lends itself to these, like there's so much legacy. Like there's so many issues. Uh, you know, Marvel's been putting out, hey, they're right here. These big uh, Savage Sword omnibuses, those big nice. honkers right there. And they're beautifully reproduced. And I'll just read through them for like re-inspiring me. The, the artwork is amazing. The stories are great. And even when they're jumping around the timeline, oh, okay, Conan's a bit younger here. Oh, Conan's a bit older. I mean, you read Superboy stories, like it doesn't matter. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, they're just great, great storytelling. They're just yep. a lot of fun. Uh, and, and when they're done well, you can see the artists and the writers that pour themselves into it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, at the end of the day, what I'm saying is I want to write the book long enough to have a big, thick, thick book like that. That's it. That's my, if, if someday they make an omnibus and it's the Jim Zub Conan omnibus and I can drop it off a third story landing and kill a child, (laughs) that that is all I've ever wanted out of my comic book career. That's, that's, that is a heck of a goal, but we, (laughs) I hope you get it. I do. I want, and I want to hear the story. You you kill that child. Yeah. I I did it guys. I dropped it off the third story landing. You can now visit me at the local penitentiary. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What a headline though. Yeah, killed with tough. killed with Conan. You know? Conan, <laughs> Conan kills. Conan kills. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> all, right. all right, guys. If you want to uh, keep Conan going, go pick up all the books that are currently out. Go pick up the current yes. arc, which I believe uh, the Crucible. We went over this. Picks up at thirteen until right yeah, thirteen okay. issue eighteen, which is the last issue of the arc, comes okay. out next week. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Sweet. yes. So you have issue uh, thirteen to eighteen to get the current arc, mm-hmm. and then go pre-order nineteen so you can get on Do board it. with that one now. And if you if you're one of those people that hates pre-ordering, just buy it. Just go buy it when it comes out. That'll still <laughs> yeah. be good. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, Thank you. No, thank you for being here. It's a lot of fun talking to you. I always have a good time. You're a super busy man to try and get on here. So thank you so much for kind of working around our schedule. That's well, my this work. pleasure. And and you know. I love working on these books. I love interacting with people. As much as I joked around about people giving me giving me hell or whatever, <laughs> come get, come give me hell. Give me hell on Twitter. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. Um, ask me questions about working in the business. If you ever want to find out more about how to write comics, hey, you said you wanted to write comics. Uh, on my website, I also have tutorials. Uh, there's a whole sidebar with like 40 different blog posts back when I had more time to write uh, <laughs> stuff that wasn't comics. Uh, how to write scripts, how to pitch your own story ideas how a lot of the stuff in the industry actually works. People asking me about everything from conventions to working with editors to pitching story ideas to Marvel, all that stuff I've answered on my website um, so that you can kind of demystify the process. Not to bolster your ego even further, but I actually used your guide and it got me, uh, I I got, I wrote a book for a company and the book went so terrible. The the whole process went terrible to the point where I kind of swore off reading, uh, writing comics again. And that is doubled okay. back around, and now that book's coming out. So what? <laughs> I got to so hold on, but which was it? See, but it makes it sound like you followed my process, and then it was a terrible experience. No, it was. I can't go deep into the, <laughs> well, the process. process it had nothing to do with yours. It had to do with the company. Um, okay. And when okay. the and when the book comes out and I can talk about it, you'll probably know what right. happened. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So one of the things, so I've got the series of articles about pitching comics specifically, what editors look for in pitches and stuff like that. And the number of people that have come to me at conventions, uh, less in the last year, but let's say before that. And uh <laughs> They would say, oh man, you know, I followed the things that you said about pitching and, uh, you know, my book's being picked up by, you know, fill in the publisher or whatever. Can I give you a copy? And at first I was so taken aback when people would say that. And now I have this small stack in the corner of my office Uh of books that people have given me. And that is the best feeling. Because when I was starting out, I did not feel like I could find that information. And so one of the reasons why, because teacher brain gym, I got to teach, I got to tell people, got to demystify the kind of process. I would talk about how it worked, you know, people, well, how do you pitch a book to image? Well, it's like this, you know, how does this stuff sort of function or why sometimes I'll hear fans make a lot of assumptions about how the business works and they come from uh, a good place. Like they think they know how this, the broader things kind of move. And it's like, well, it's, it's actually different than you might realize. This is what, how a publisher, you know, thinks about these kinds of projects and they've got to measure these kinds of different elements. So 
Um, if you have questions about that stuff, dig into my articles. And if I don't answer it there, ask me on Twitter. And someday when I have time, maybe I can write a new thing about that. You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to call the show here because this is much later than Sal and I normally go after, so I'm sure nope. Sal has a home to get to. So thank you once <laughs> again, uh, Jim, for joining us today. It was a blast ch chatting with you. Um, My pleasure. I, I, I got a feeling we could sit here for like five hours and just shoot the shit about everything, but you have yes. a D&D &D game <laughs> to get to, and I have a hungry <laughs> wife upstairs. So <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> thank you guys awesome. so much for joining thank us today. Again. We're going to call it here. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter. I think it's just Jim Zub, right? Yep, just J-I-M-Z-U-B. Okay. Wait. Yours is one of the easiest ones I ever have to find whenever we're talking. Awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow for the comic book review show, the comics experiment, and the Dungeons and Dragons game. And other than that, see you next Tuesday for the next Absolute Comics. You guys have a great day. Thank you so much.